So um, you saw that one of the announcements was that next week is 30s, 30 years. It's our 30-year celebration next weekend, all right? So uh, 30 years ago, next weekend is when Seacoast launched as a church. And so we're, uh, we're going to be doing a series. We're also going to be doing a bunch of other stuff. And it's going um, to be cool. You got to make sure that you're here. We're going to be doing a six-week series, and it starts next weekend. Um, and we're going to be celebrating a lot of stuff that God has done. And, and as we've been preparing for this, we obviously have known that this is coming for a while. And so we've been kind of getting some stuff ready. And, and, uh, and we have a lot of surprises for you. We're going to be revisiting a lot of the past, but we're also going to be looking at what is ahead of us and what, uh, what, where we think we're supposed to be going as a church and kind of the things that God's calling us to do. Um, but as we were putting all of this stuff together, we went through tons of old photos and videos, and it was so fun. You got to see a little sneak peek of some of those. Um, but part of the uh, enjoyment for me was as I was looking at all of these old pictures is to see uh, the transformation in Doyle's hair and beard uh, over the last 30 years. And so I just brought a couple pictures real quick for you guys to see, because we probably won't um, highlight this next week. But this is a great one. This is, uh, yeah, back in the day. Um, man, what do they call that? The, what do they call that mustache? Is that handsome? That's what they call that? Hmm, del delusional is also what they call that. Okay. Uh, anyway, I love that stash. But this, this is when Seco started. And uh, there I am in my Cubs outfit right there, because we moved from Chicago. And that is what they call the yuppie look right there. Millennials, if you didn't know, that's what yuppie look. Uh, and that look is kind of coming back in style now, I heard. Now, this is the business casual Doyle. Uh, he's got a very nice trimmed beard. This was uh, before he was fully gray and could tuck in his shirt. Anyway, <laughs> this is my favorite Doyle. Uh, this is what they call the boy band Doyle. His highlights were on point. Uh, super cute. So anyway, we're going to have a lot of fun in the coming weeks, so make sure that you're here. Uh, so because we're, uh, we're kind of in between series, um, last week we had a guest speaker, and hopefully you're here to hear David uh, tell his story, and it was pretty, uh, pretty challenging, pretty interesting and intense. Um, and next week, since we're starting a big series and we're going to be doing that for six weeks, this weekend uh, is kind of the last weekend before we launch into the fall, like all of our fall programs, um, all the, the ministries that we have, they kind of all kick off right now. And one of the major ministries that is kicking off, and this is the last weekend to get uh, involved, is Rooted. And Rooted has been one of those kind of transformative things for our church and for many individuals here. And, um, and so here's what I'm going to do is we've talked about Rooted for the last few weeks. This is the last weekend that you can sign up. And so I'm not going to give necessarily a sermon today. I'm going to give you a sales pitch, okay? And the sales pitch is why you need to sign up for Rooted. And so if you haven't done Rooted before, you need to jump in. If you've done Rooted before, you need to get back in because there are, are multiple sessions that you can do. It's an all play. Everybody's got to sign up, all right? So here's my, I'm going to give you a few reasons. Here's my first reason why you need to sign up, because you're supposed to. All right? That should be enough. I wish I could just pray and be like, you're right. We should. Okay, go. No, but, but here's the deal. Is that not just because you're supposed to, because Doyle declared he's an apostle last week and he told you to, um, but because... Uh, it's biblical. And the, the rooted program is just one way to do this. But if you look at the early church, especially in Acts, and you look at the way that they did church and, and uh, Christianity has been doing church for the last couple thousand years, you see a pattern. And the pattern is they would do big groups and they would do small groups. They would do rows and then they would do circles. And, and really because they, they uh, do two different things. When you come here, this is big group time. This is where you're in rows and you're listening. And you might get some information and some inspiration here on the weekends. 
But when you get into the small groups, the circles, you're going to get transformation. And so you got to have both. So you're doing 50% really well right now, okay? But you got to have the second half. The other reason why I think you should do rooted is because you need it. Like we were built to be in community, each one of us. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You were built to be around people and in relationship with people. You just can't avoid it. It's a part of your DNA. It's God's thumbprint on your life that you were supposed to be in community. And you can see this in all areas of life. Anything from, uh, I had a, um, a really horrible smoothie this week. Like a horrible smoothie. I'm not a smoothie person, but I'm trying to get more healthy. And so I had this smoothie, and it was so bad. I was like, Dad, you have to try this, right? <laughs> because you just share. That's like what we do is we want to just share with people, you know, good, bad, whatever. We just, we can't help it. This is what social media is really built upon is this idea that all of us want to be in community, and we want to share with one another. Even the, the most obscure, irrelevant details of our life. Here's what I just ate for dessert. I need the world to know, right? Because there's something within us that we just have to share with other people. And so you, you are designed to be in community. You just can't help it. If you look at Jesus as an example, Jesus, he was, uh, he, he was preparing for his ministry. And one of the first things that he does as he's preparing for his ministry is he calls 12 guys together and he says, okay, we're going to go and do life together. Now, he didn't necessarily need their help, but there was something about it where he knew that uh, people need to be in community, that he needed to teach these guys and they needed to do life together. The worst thing that can happen to somebody is not physical pain, but it's relational pain. It's losing a loved one. It's being rejected by somebody they care about. If we're going to punish a prisoner, the worst punishment that we can think of is put them in solitary confinement, to isolate them, to take them out of the community. And so community is just a part of, of who we are and what we do. Everybody's going to be in community one way or another. The question is, who are you going to be in community with, and what's that community going to look like? And so I want to look at uh, um, some verses by this guy named King Solomon. King Solomon, if you don't know, was the, the, the son of King David. He was the wisest man ever to live up until Jesus. And he has some insights into humanity. And so he's going to give us a, a little bit of insight into who we should be in community with and why we should be in community. So let's jump in. First is this. It says this. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Walk with the wise and become wise. So here's what he knows. He knows that you are who you hang out with that the people that you surround yourself with are going to shape who you become in the future. And if you're a parent, you know this to be true. This is why we're so cautious about who our kids hang out with, because we know that they can be bad influences on them. Because it doesn't matter your age, you will be influenced, you will be shaped by the people around you. And they'll begin to transform the way that you see um, even money and, and, uh, and love and faith and health, and they will transform everything that you see. Example of this, I, I think of uh, when I was growing up is we had a group of, uh, group of guys in junior high and high school I used to hang out with, and uh, we got really into BMXing. We'd build these big BMX jumps, and it was really fun. And we had another friend who, he wasn't really built for BMXing. He was built for like, I don't know, football. He was like the size of like shape of a fridge, okay? And so that didn't really go with BMXing, but he really wanted to hang with the guys. He wanted to be a part of it. This wasn't for him, but he was going to give it a shot. And so he went out and he purchased a brand new bike, and it was beautiful. And he spent all this money on it, and the first day out, first jump, little baby jump, first jump that he hits, he falls, and the sprocket goes right into his knee, turns, and then rips the whole thing off. 
it was literally stuck. We had to get a hose and I had to hose off the chunk of his knee that was still in there. He had to have a skin graft to get it put back in. It was a mess. Anyway, we got a great deal on his bike after that, though. So why would he do this? He, he didn't have any personal desire to do it. Well, it's because he wanted to fit. He wanted to belong. He wanted a, a place to be. And so the people who he was hanging out with very much influenced his decisions. Now, this is not only true uh, of the positive, but also the negative. He continues with this. He says this. For a companion of fools suffers harm. So if it's true of hanging out with wise people, it's also going to be true of hanging out with foolish people. Is that as you hang out with foolish people, they're going to begin to change the way you view things. Things that weren't a temptation before are all of a sudden a temptation. Things that maybe were off limits before now seem like a possibility. And it's because you've started to hang out with a new group of people. Now, I can already hear in your mind a pushback, especially those of us who maybe have been around the church and Christianity for a while. We go, look, I'm not going to become an atheist if I hang out with atheists. I'm not going to become, look, I'm pretty set in my beliefs. I'm set in the way that I do life. Like, I don't really feel tempted to pursue any of the things that these people are pursuing. I just like being around them. It's fun. And to a degree, I understand that, because Jesus hung out with sinners, and so I'm all about that. But you got to realize that the balance was not 50-50. It was tons of time with disciples, and then also time in investing in people who were far, far away from him. And so there, there has to be that balance there. I, I get that. But notice this. If you can bring that verse back up really quick. Notice this. If Solomon does not say how we will suffer harm, he just says that we will suffer harm at some point when we surround ourselves with fools. Because you may not be tempted, you may not be swayed by their lifestyle, but when their life blows up and you're standing right next to them, you're going to be collateral damage in the deal. And so by hanging out with foolish people, it's kind of like driving in a car as the passenger with a drunk driver. You may not be doing anything wrong. You may be following all the rules, but because you've surrounded yourself with the wrong people, you're going to face consequences because of their actions. All right, he continues on. He says this. He says, this is also how we experience love. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, in this society, this is a big deal because siblings were pretty much like the, the, the most important relationship that you had, even above your spouse, because this, this was a part of your family. This was a part of your heritage. It's also important for survival. And so he's saying that you can have a friend that's even closer than that and continues on. He says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. At first, I didn't really get this. I had to go and I had to research this for a little bit. And here's what I think Solomon's trying to get at. He says, you know, there's, there's different kinds of relationships that you have. That's obvious. You've got friends, and you've got family, and then hopefully you've got friends or, or family that are friends. But there's a difference between being a friend and being family. So being family, I think unless, you know, you come from a, a, a pretty uh, a broken family and you have no relationship, I would say that th at the minimum— your family will be there for you if you hit some really tough times. Like if it's really, really tough, and even if you guys don't get along that well, if it's tough, you know what? We'll still be there. I'll fly across the world to make sure that you're okay because you've hit a really tough time in your life. But just because family will be there when it's tough doesn't mean they actually like you. Right? And you, you know this to be true. You have some family members. Hopefully you're not sitting next to them right now, but you have some family members that you go, look, if we weren't born in the same family, we would not hang out right now. Like, we, did, we are just, we don't connect. We're not homies. Like, the only reason why we hang out is because we have the same parents, right? But what he's saying here is he's saying, okay, so family is great. They'll be there for you in times of trouble. But you know what's even better? It's when you have a friend who will be there no matter what. 
times of trouble, times of celebration, and everything in between. There are people in this world who have chosen to be around you, who like you and they love you, and so they will be there through all the seasons of life. Then he says that it's important for wise counsel. Uh, Proverbs 15, 22 says this, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. I think there's another verse, keep going, that the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. So you've probably had this experience in which you, in the moment, the decision that you're making makes a ton of sense to you. It's just, yeah, this is, this is what I should do. And then you fast forward a little bit and you realize, that wasn't the wisest decision in the world. Like you, you start asking questions like, how, how did I think that was a good idea? In what universe did that make sense to me that I should do that, that I should date this person, that I should go to this place? What was I thinking? And Solomon says one of the ways that you can avoid those future regrets is if you have people around you who have a different perspective, can be a little bit more objective, aren't so wrapped up in the emotion of the moment, and they can say, hey, um, I probably wouldn't do that if I were you. I think you may come to regret that. I know that in the moment this feels right and it makes sense, but if I were you, I'd probably back up a little bit and do things differently. This happens on a regular basis with me and Amy. Is uh, I get what's called hangry quite often. And so when I'm angry and I'm driving and I'm in traffic, it is wow. I'm just like, you people are on my road. What are you doing? Eliminate all of them. You know, just get out of my way. And she usually has to calm me down and go, hey, it's not that big of a deal. You know, like you don't have to sacrifice like the car in order to prove a point. It's going to be okay. And it's because she has a different perspective. She can be a little bit more objective in those moments than I can. Community is also important because they're going to challenge us. In 19, uh, Proverbs 19.20 says this, Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. And then verse 27, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So he's saying is there's got to be people in your life that are, are, are going to speak truth, truth in love into your life. Because here's the honest truth, and you do it and I do it, is most relationships that we have are not going to be relationships in which people are going to speak truth into your life. They're going to shine you on. They're going to smile. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Okay, buddy, all right, have a good one. Good to see you. All right, we should get together sometime never. Okay, okay, great. Because that's how most of our relationships are. They're very surfacey. They may see danger ahead. They may see something in your life and watch, oh man, if they continue to do this, there's going to be a train wreck in their world. And yet, they are unwilling to speak truth into our life. These kind of friends, and we're these kinds of friends too, so we can't get too arrogant about this deal, but these are the kind of friends that if they saw a car coming your way, they would say, yeah, I'm just going to let them figure it out. Instead of, hey, danger, danger, you probably need to get all the, no, no, they're fine. I don't want to get in the middle of it. What if I scare them when I yell at them? That would just be horrible. They'd be so mad at me. I just, I'm not dealing with that. See, what we, what we need is people who are willing to speak truth into our life. Because the reason why we don't speak truth into people's lives is not for their benefit. Although we try to rationalize it and say, well, I'm not going to tell them that there's danger headed their way because I wouldn't want them to get mad at me. I wouldn't want them to get upset. I wouldn't want to hurt their feelings. No, you're not telling them the truth because you don't want to feel uncomfortable. You don't want to have to have that awkward conversation. Because whatever's heading their way, it's got to hit them. They're going to have to deal with it. You're just not giving them a heads up in the deal. And so the reason why we oftentimes don't speak truth is because it's going to make us feel uncomfortable. And if you imagine that you had a doctor like this, 
Now, let, this is totally hypothetical. Let's say I went into the doctor, you know, in the last year, and uh, they said, Cody, you need to lose 20 pounds. Purely hypothetical. By the way, I uh, <laughs> gotta tell you this. This is kind of funny. Last service, I said that, and this guy comes up to me after service, and he says, hey, I know how you can lose 20 pounds right now. And I'm like, all right, tell me about it. He goes, throw that shirt away. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what? He said, yeah, those horizontal stripes, man. He's like, you know, there's a goodwill. They'd, they'd take that shirt, no problem. And I was like, that's, <laughs> all right. That's the last time I wear this shirt. <sighs> anyway, I said, that's all it takes? Just a new shirt? Great. Um, let's imagine I went to the doctor. Hypothetically, they say, Cody, you need to lose 20 pounds. I probably wouldn't be happy about that, and I wasn't. But, like, I get it. You need to tell me what's going to be best for me. You're going to speak this truth into my life, and okay, I, I can accept that. Now, let's imagine that that same doctor, he knew that I needed to lose 20 pounds, but instead of him telling me, Cody, you need to lose 20 pounds, he, in his mind, has this discussion with himself thinking, I don't really want to tell him, because, like, what if he gets mad at me? You know, like, he'll think I'm so judgmental, and I'm calling him fat, and, like, ah, we're just having such a great time. I want him to come back. You know, we're just, we're, we're, we're really kind of connecting right now, and so I don't want to rock the boat, I would say, I need a new doctor, because you need to tell me the truth, because I'm going to have to deal with the consequences one way or another, and so I think we need people around us who are going to do the same thing. In love, they're going to say, hey, I see some danger coming your way, and so I think it would be uh, uh, unloving of me not to speak truth into your life. Community also keeps you uh, accountable. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Pretty common math. You got one person working, you got another person working. When they come together, they get more done than just one person. Okay, makes sense. Uh, for if they fall, one will lift up this fellow. Okay, so if you're working and you fall and you say, I've done this before. I was dirt biking. I broke my collarbone. I went out in the desert. If I was by myself, I would still be out in the desert right now. But luckily, I had a friend there and he said, let me go get the truck and I'll pick you up and we'll take you to the hospital. Now, the same thing can happen to you. You not, may not break your collarbone, but you're going to stumble. You're going to have some crashes in life. That's just part of the deal. It could be financial. It could be relational. It could be in your health. It could be in who knows what it is. But that's going to be part of the deal. That's why there's got to be people around us who are going to be able to pick us up and say, you know what, we can continue to push on. But he says this next. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Here's the problem is if you stumble and fall, you have nobody there to help pick you up, and you're stranded. Now, I've never told you guys this before, but I have a gift. I wouldn't say it's a miraculous gift. I wouldn't say it's supernatural, but I can predict the future. You didn't know this about me, but I can't. Now, I would attribute it to, uh, I've been a pastor for a while, so I've got, the, I've got a front row seat to a lot of people's lives, and I've been a, a pastor's kid my entire life, and, and here's what I've been able to do. I'm not with like 100% accurate, but I'm pretty good. I can predict the future if somebody is going to have a train wreck in their life. Like if they're about to blow up relationally or spiritually or emotionally, or I can almost, almost 100%, not quite there, but I'm pretty good at being able to predict if somebody's about to have a blow up. And here's one of the biggest signs if somebody's going to have a blow up. They begin to isolate themselves. If I see somebody who is isolating themselves, it's a good indication that something's about to blow up in their life. And they may not even mean to isolate themselves, but if they're starting to kind of feel some distance in their marriage and they're trying to figure out what's going on. If they were really involved, they were in a rooted group and they were volunteering, they were super plugged in, and then all of a sudden they're pulling back and they're keeping everybody at arm's length. 
if they're isolating and hiding certain aspects of their life where you, you know, you're not allowed to look at their text messages or, or ask where they were on Friday night or where they're spending their money, or, and they start kind of isolating these certain areas of their life, it's because they're heading for a blow-up. It's because there's about to be a train wreck in their life. Now, we, we sometimes get to decide if we're going to have a train wreck or not. I think a lot of our moral decisions and things like that, that, that we get to decide. But there's other arenas of our life in which we hit a train wreck, we hit a wall, something blows up in our life, and we had no control over it. Either way, we have to do the same thing. We have to surround ourselves with people who aren't going to let us stay there. Who are going to continue to knock at our door and call our phone and not give up on us when we want to give up. Because here's the truth is you can walk away from church. It's really easy. I see it all the time. Here's what you do if you want to walk away from church. Don't show up next week. That's it. You're done. You're out of this deal. You just don't show up next week and you have walked away from church. You can even do that with God. You can walk away from God. You know what you do? Nothing. You just stop doing it. You just say, I'm not doing this anymore. And then you're done. But you know it's really, really hard to walk away from? A community of people. Because they'll like come to your house if you're not answering your phone. You're going to have to like move. You're going to have to change your name because these people are going to continue to show up and say, what's the deal? No, 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 no. We're not giving up. No, we're not quitting. Let's go. Now, imagine if you had those kinds of people in your life. Imagine if your parents, when you were growing up, had those kinds of people. Can you imagine if your dad had those kinds of guys around him? Like a group of guys who, when life got really, really difficult and they were, he was just ready to give up and walk away, that they said, no. That's not how this works. You made a commitment to that woman, to those kids, you're staying. I don't care if we have to drive you back home every night and sit outside your front door. You're not leaving this family. Can you imagine how different your life would be if you had some guys in your life who were able to speak into your parents? What about you when you were growing up and you were a student? And you were deciding if you were going to kind of head down this path or head down the other path. And there was a lot of pressure, a lot of peer pressure. And so... Someone stepped in, because you know you're not going to listen to your parents or your family. Someone stepped in a little bit older and said, you know, I've been there. I don't think you're going to like where this ends up. What, what if I just kind of give you a little bit of direction here? What if I give you some advice? Can you imagine the regrets that you would have been able to avoid if you had done that? Or, or your parents, if your parents had a, a group of couples around them, and your parents were just ready to give up on that marriage, they were done, it's just not working, and they said, mm-mm, no, 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 we're driving you to counseling. We'll pay for it, and we'll be back tomorrow because this thing is going to work out. Either you're going to stay married or you're going to die. That's the only two options. <laughs> Can you imagine how different your life would have been if, if your parents had some people around them like that? Well, that, that's why we have to surround ourselves with people like that because we don't know when life is going to hit the fan. We don't know when we're going to stumble. We don't know when things are going to get tough. All we can do is prepare in advance for what we know for certain is going to happen because if we don't do it now and we don't surround ourselves with these types of people, what's going to happen is when that does hit the fan, it's going to be too late. We're already behind the ball. We can't go and build that community now. Now it's just going to be about picking up the pieces and trying to put it back together. So, I got to fast forward because I'm, every service I've run out of time. It's, it's crazy. Okay, here's what's ironic about this whole thing. Solomon gives all these great ideas. He says the benefit of community. And I think all of us would say, yes, Solomon, you're right. And the crazy part about Solomon's story is he didn't take his advice at all. 
At the end of the day, Solomon surrounded himself with horrible people, and it cost him everything. He knew that he should be around wise people, people who are seeking God, and yet he didn't do that. And it cost him the nation of Israel split in half. His family was completely destroyed. And it's all because he just simply didn't take his own advice. And I think there's so many of us in this room who maybe we've been to church for a while and we sit here and we go, I should be in community. You are right. A hundred percent. I agree. And I am not going to do it. Why? Here's why. At least this is my analysis. I think humanity is a lot like, you remember those um, Siamese uh, fighting fish, like betta fish? They used to have them at restaurants sometimes. They got pet stores and, and they, wanna, they have to be in their own little glasses. Unless, or they'll fight. That's humanity right there is, look, I, I will fully admit, that is my disposition, is I would rather be in my tiny little glass aquarium, leave me alone. I like being alone. I don't want anybody to bother me. Don't get in my business. This is my space. Stay out of it. And so that's kind of the disposition of some of us, is we would rather just isolate ourselves. We'd rather be uh, alone. And our culture doesn't make it any easier because we are continuing to be a more and more isolated uh, culture. Statistics show that young people are more afraid of isolation than they are of cancer. You go to a restaurant after this, start to look around. You will notice that half of the people are not speaking to one another because they're on their phones. We're, we're lonely people. It's called the epidemic of loneliness because we've begun to isolate ourselves. And maybe one of the reasons why we've isolated ourselves is because we've tried this community thing before. We've tried being in these relationships. And every time we do it, it ends in drama. There's a blow up, there's a fight, there's somebody not pulling their weight, there's a gossip. I would just rather not deal with any of this at all. That's why I'm just going to be alone and stay alone, because at least I won't have to deal with all the drama. And this is actually the story of the Old Testament. It is group after group, family after family, nation after nation, of people coming together and not being able to keep it together. And not only is that the Old Testament story, that is humanity's story. Every time a group of people come together, we manage to screw it up royally. And so here's what Jesus does. He comes along and he says, you guys are a mess. I mean, you've been created to be in community. You were made and you're supposed to thrive in community. And yet every time you come together, it either ends in drama and isolation and loneliness. All right, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to to, we're gonna have to restart this whole thing. He says, you're going to have to be born again. Now, just realize the offensiveness of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that you and I, we're so broken, we're so messed up. The reason why we are constantly in conflict is because we are such a disaster that the only way to make things better is a restart. There's no amount of self-help, there's no amount of good deeds, there's no amount of positive thinking or willpower. You and I are such a disaster that we need a total rebirth. Now, he's talking about a spiritual rebirth in which we need to be born again, that, that we need to come into a relationship with him, and when we come into a relationship with him, that we become new inside, that he renews us, that we become a new person. He says that's the only way that thing is going to work out, is you are not going to be able to stay in community the way that you are. You need to become brand new. And here's kind of the bottom line. I've run out of time, but here's the bottom line. Is the reason why your relationships don't work with other people is because your relationship with God is broken. And when that is broken, everything else is broken. And so if you want to resolve that issue, you have to resolve the primary issue, which is you need to get right with God, and then you can get right with the people around you. And so Jesus comes along and he says, you need to be born again. 
And we usually stop at this point, and we usually say, okay, I need to be born again. I need to come into a relationship with Jesus. Great. You missed the second part of the gospel, though. The second part of the gospel is when you are reborn, just like the first time that you were born, you're born into a family. And so when you're reborn, you become a Christ follower. You are born into a new family. You're born into God's family. And that's why Jesus launched the church. He says, you now are a new people, a new community. You are a new family because you're new people. And so what we're going to do here is you're going to come together and you're going to do life together. And you're going to show the rest of the world what this was supposed to look like. What family, what community was supposed to look like. And we go, well, Jesus, here's the problem. We, we don't know what that's supposed to look like. All we've ever known is isolation and drama and arguments and division. And so we don't know how to live as that kind of family. Jesus says, okay, okay, okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some, like, some rules. First, I'm going to show you. You watch how I live. Do you see how I treat these people around me? That's how you guys are going to live. And then I'm going to give you some commands, like love one another. Okay, that's going to be your first priority. And then I'm going to give you some values, family values. Those are the Beatitudes. This is what we value in this family. And so he teaches us and he shows us, here's what it looks like to live in this new community, the community that was supposed to be that has been lost. And so when we do this, there's a few things really powerful that happen. The first thing is that God begins to speak. See, God speaks through four primary ways, through prayer, through scripture, through circumstances, and through his people. And he says, I want you to gather, and when you gather and you do those things, these people are going to be like my mouthpiece. They're going to communicate to you. They're going to speak on my behalf into your life. And so if you want to hear from me, you need to do these four things. And one of the the, the, the ways that we do that is we gather together and we do those things. That's really what rooted is. It's those things just over and over and over again. And it's no surprise that at the end of it, people go, I feel like God spoke to me. And we go, crazy, isn't it? We, if only we knew that that's how that worked. Oh, wait, we did know how that, how that worked. Here, here's the other thing. He says, and you're going to be able to experience God's love in a really tangible way. See, these people are going to be, we usually think of, I'm going to experience God's love by a warming of my heart. Maybe that'll be true. Maybe you'll experience it for a moment when you're worshiping, you're reading, you're praying. Great. But I think one of the most profound ways is when you experience it through other believers. And God begins to touch you and begins to, to speak to you and begins to, you begin to experience his love through his people, their, his hands and his feet. That's why in Rooted we do these serve projects, is we want people to experience God's love in a really tangible way. And here's the, kind of the big picture. If all of this works and we do this right, the rest of the world is going to look at us and go, I want to be a part of that group. Because like every other group that I'm a part of, every nation, every team, every group, every community, everything I've ever been a part of, it just breaks apart. It usually ends in drama. I'm usually lonely at the end of it, but I see these people, and they love each other like they're family. But even beyond that, I want to be a part of that community. And see, that's how Christianity ended up taking over the world, is people looked at it and said, I don't know if I can believe that a dead man rises from the dead, but I'm willing to give it a shot if that's the kind of love I can experience. And so they began to become a part of these communities because they saw the way that Christians loved one another. And so here's my closing kind of challenge, I guess. Every session so far that we've done this, and we've done a few now, and we've had thousands of people go through Rooted, every time I've said, I will give you a money-back guarantee if you go through Rooted. 
Meaning, if you go through it and you do not have a game-changing experience in which you really feel like something profound happened in your faith journey, I personally will write you a check for a refund. And if you know how cheap I am, that is a huge guarantee. Because I, we really do believe in it. We really do believe when God's people get together and they start doing life together that something transformative happens. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this community and that you have brought us together. Lord God, um, the one thing that we know that we have in common is that we love you and that is enough. That is enough for us to be able to do life together. And so, Lord God, we just pray that we would become that kind of community, that, that sort of family that you uh, originally intended for us to be, and that we would be able to experience that kind of love and that kind of intimacy within this community. And so, Lord God, if there's anybody here who is just a little bit hesitant about signing up and about being in community, and, and they're just not sure how it's going to work out, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to be able to step out in faith and into your community. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.